Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone and happy ADA month. I have loved this month with the people we've had on celebrating the Americans with Disabilities Act. Soon coming up, July 26th. And who would be better, no one would be better, than to have this guest on the show today. We all know him. People in the disability community know him. People nationally in politics know him. But I know him as a civil rights leader for Americans with Disabilities. I know him as a champion. I know him as my friend and mentor, the author of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and former congressman, Tony Coelho, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. Uh, I appreciate that uh, intro. Um, The most important thing you said, we're great friends, and that's the most important part of everything you said. Well, thank you. It's great to be on your show. Well, it's always great to have you. And, Tony, as I said, we're celebrating uh, ADA Month, and when I was thinking about this the other day, I thought, what could that possibly be like to Tony Quello? I mean, I cannot, I know this is the 24th year, but, you know, knowing what you did, I can't imagine what that feels like. So tell us. I'm sure it's an exciting day for you. And really, what does that mean to you? Well, Joyce, uh, the most important part is the, what ADA has done to provide opportunities for so many people, not only here in the United States, but other countries have adopted uh, uh, the basic elements of ADA, about 52 of them. And so... Um, ADA has impacted people in the U.S. and uh, folks uh, all over the world. And when you think about that, um, I mean, you know my story is that when I was living with Bob Hope, he's the one who suggested I get into politics. And he said, you can affect the life of uh, uh, thousands of people, uh, whereas opposed to you're going in the priesthood, which was where I was headed, would impact maybe a few hundred. Um, and I've, I've thought about that so often because I love Bob Hope and his interests in me and my career. But I thought about what he said and, and how it changed my life and, and uh, how I really believe I've been able to help uh, uh, a lot of people. I, I have people come up all the time to me and thank me for the ADA, but more importantly, I appreciate thanks, but more importantly, I have people who come to me seeking guidance as a result of problems they're having with the ADA. I'm working with a woman in Virginia right now who has a very small business, and the government is uh, forcing her to do some changes, uh, which was not the intent of the ADA. So I'm working with her. I'm working with uh, a young man who is uh, depressed because of his seizures and so forth. And so I'm consoling him, trying to um, make him understand that there's nothing to be ashamed about uh, with your epilepsy, that uh, it's uh, something that uh, you can work with, deal with, and succeed at uh, if you're determined. 
And uh, I just run into people with all kinds of disabilities um, who seek guidance, who seek support, seek help. And that makes me feel fabulous. I mean, I love the idea that um, people come to me to help uh, them with their with their problem. I guess it's um, what Bob Hope said. He said, look, at, you can have a ministry in a church, but what you really can do is have a ministry uh, in a lot of other things, but more importantly, in the politics and in uh, the impact that you can have. And so I, I love my ministry. I love the fact that uh, I do everything I can and don't always succeed, but try to impact uh, those of us with disabilities. And then to be able to help them on individual problems is even more rewarding. Well, you know what I was thinking about? Your exclusion by your family, the church, employers, that exclusion, you know, as a result of your epilepsy, led to the inclusion of millions of people. Isn't that amazing when you think of that? Yeah, that's true. Those experiences uh, are experiences that are embedded into me. And people uh, ask me all the time, where do you get your passion to keep at this? Um, Because most of this is all pro bono. And and I say, you know, it's because of what I've been through. Uh, I know what it's like, and I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to have family turn against you. I know what it's like to... Um, to commit uh, to uh, attempt suicide and think of suicide. Um, I know what it's like to give up uh, because of people uh, discriminating uh, against you and belittling you. Um, I know all those feelings. I've been there. And so when I uh, know of people that uh, are having trouble, um, I automatically reach out. Um, And uh, so... I, you know, I, I've said it many times that uh, I thank God for my epilepsy because uh, it identified me as a person more than I'd ever been before, um, and uh, it's uh, helped me be a better person. So, I mean, I thank thank God for it. So, would you say the main ways then that epilepsy has changed your life to make you who you are? Would you say that that was due to that rejection making you more confident? Or, you know, what would you say? What what would you say are the main things that it did for you? Well, the rejection is really what it is. Um, It uh, it did make me more confident, as you well know. Um, It uh, uh, took me to to suicidal uh, attempts and, and thoughts and so forth. Um, but it was, um, I, I remember the day as if it was yesterday or this morning, um, when I was drunk on that hill in Griffith Park in Los Angeles. And all of a sudden, I heard the merry-go-round music, looked down, and there was a merry-go-round. And I saw these young kids getting off and on that merry-go-round, happy and, and screaming and just, just happy. Um, and something hit me and said, I want to be just like those little kids again. And, it, you know, you can say it was divine spirit. You can say whatever you want to say. But it, it, it did hit me. And I decided from that moment forward I was never going to let anybody or anything 
ever stopped me from believing in what I believed in. And from that moment forward, I've not had a negative thought. Um, from that moment forward, I've been very honest with myself, sometimes aggressively honest with myself, but I've been very honest uh, with what I can and cannot do, uh, who I am and who I'm not, um, and uh, and happy about it. Um, and it all came about uh, from that uh, <clears throat> uh, period of rejection. And it's a, it's a tremendous feeling to have to feel uh, positive about who you are and what you stand for uh, because of uh, what you've been through. I mean, it's, uh, so many people are afraid to uh, believe in what they believe or to do what they want to do uh, because of fear of rejection. I've been there, and I don't fear it at all anymore. Um, I am willing to speak to presidents, spoken to the Pope uh, on times that where I feel people are unfairly being uh, discriminated against. I, I, don't, I don't have any hesitation uh, in doing that because I believe very, very strongly that uh, we're not placed on this earth to be discriminated against. Uh, what we're uh, placed here to do is to uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are available to us and that uh, people like me should help create opportunities for people to have. And so I strongly believe in that, and I'm very much against uh, people being prejudiced uh, on anything. Uh, I just had a person uh, write me a note today saying, did I believe in a system where the um, two top people in an election should be in the runoff as opposed to uh, one person from one party and one from another? I think that discriminates against the parties, and eventually you get rid of the parties. Some people might think that's great, but I think what's made our country strong is that we have a strong two-party system. And as a strong Democrat, I'd love to do away with some Republicans, but that's not my belief. My belief is that we need strong Democrats and strong Republicans to have the country that we built, and it's a great country. It's the shining light of the world, and we need to preserve it as much as possible. Yeah, and I think you have good advice you're giving to any young people, really anyone listening to the show right now, because that believing in yourself, wow, that just makes all the difference, even if it's a long time believing, like yeah. you, Tony, with Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act. Now, that's what I call a really long time <laughs> believing and being perseverant when really a lot of people would have given up, truthfully. I mean, I must admit, I was wondering how could this possibly happen when it has never happened. So I know that you're on top of the world because I know you were involved with this. So, Tony, why do you think it did take so long? And my second question, and I know you're joyful about this, what impact do you think it's going to have? Well, Joyce, what I didn't realize is that when 25 years ago I started pushing to, m to make sure that people with disabilities were included in, in 503, um, the law uh, said that people of color um, and um, 
women and people with disabilities all could not be discriminated against by contractors and federal contractors. In other words, the, the largest employer in the world is the United States government. And we, you know, contract with uh, uh, people to provide us paper, to provide airplanes, to provide guns, to provide uniforms, to provide water, to provide whatever it is for a federal agency and each of the officers are in combat or whatever. And all these people basically are paid by the federal government through, through uh, the contracts. And, and the government decided many years ago that uh, it was fine for you to get a contract to provide a service for the uh, uh, federal government, but that you could not discriminate. And it had a huge impact in regards to people of color. Um, so many people will tell you that they, they feel that their success today is because the military and federal contractors started hiring people of color and that made a difference uh, throughout society. Uh, women, the same thing. Uh, Justice Ginsburg in the United States Supreme Court has openly said that she wouldn't be where she is today on the United States Supreme Court if it hadn't been for 503 because it opened up the door to women for opportunities and, and so forth. But those of us with disabilities were left behind. And the reason we were left behind is not because people were discriminating against. is because there was no real definition for disabilities. And secondly, there was no um, uh, data in regards to where people with disabilities lived and, and how many and so forth. And so what had to be done was we had to go after the definition, then we have to go after the data. So it took me years, uh, just um, I was out of Congress, and it took me years to get the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Census Bureau to meet uh, this was under President Clinton uh, when I was heading up a, a committee for him. And what we did is we finally got them together to agree on a definition. Then we got them together to agree on a question to ask on the census form and, and then how many words it could be and how many questions, six questions, X number of words. And so we went through all that process and through the eight years of the Clinton administration, we finally got uh, all this data done, but it took eight years to get that uh, started and in place. Then what was needed was an executive order, now that we had uh, this data, to implement 503 for people with disabilities. Well, in the eight years of the Bush administration, George W. Bush, uh, I couldn't get anywhere. Then Obama came in, and I started working on it then, and in March of this year, we finally got it adopted because of uh, President Obama's, Obama's support, but particularly because of Valerie Jarrett, his senior advisor. She was fabulous. And we finally got it through and it was signed, and now uh, it is, as a result of the executive order, it's been the law of the land, but now that law is being implemented by executive order for the first time. And the predictions are, by the person who heads up this office, is that in the first year of implementation, we will have 464,000 uh, people with disabilities uh, employed through federal, and sub, uh, federal contractors and subcontractors. That's an enormous number if you think about it, and that's only the first year. Now, this goes into effect uh, early next year. It's, it's out there now, and 
contractors and federal contractors are supposed to start hiring, and then they're required to uh, give to the government uh, what they are doing to implement the law. And so if they don't have a, a, uh, a workable uh, proposal, uh, they can be fined. Um, so they have to make an attempt to hire, they have to show that they have a plan and so forth. So that whole effort now is taking place, and that's, you know, it took me 25 years to get it there, but I understood the bottom line. I understood that with the ADA, we legally were providing people with an opportunity, and that was critically important. We had a constitutional right just like anybody else, but we weren't given it because of the discrimination. So we had to to pass the ADA to say, look it, you've got to give you can't discriminate with those of us who have a disability because of our disability, and we can sue you if, if that's the case, and the government can go after you if that's the case, and so forth. But none of that provided for people to hire us. And so now with Section 503 being implemented, uh, the federal contractors and subcontractors, they don't have to hire us, me individually, but what they have to do is to have a program of how they're going to reach out and get qualified people who have a disability to work for them. And uh, there are many qualified people with individuals. There are a lot of things I can't do as a person with epilepsy. I know that. But there are a lot of things I can do and that I have done successfully. That's true with all of us who have disabilities, fear disabilities or whatever it might be. And so having... This law will, I mean, this uh, executive order in place will make a huge difference for all of us with disabilities. And then we have also 508, which basically says you can't discriminate against people technologically so that your phones have to be accessible. Your, uh, everything in technology has to be successful because if you don't get that successful, then we're continuing to be put behind, behind, behind. So all these things are happening, and most of you don't know that in your smartphones, uh, they're accessible in many ways to those of us with uh, uh, disabilities, and Congressman Ed Markey is primarily responsible for, for getting that done. So uh, a lot of things um, over these last uh, uh, many years that I've been involved are exciting because of the opportunities we're creating. And a lot of young people today have no idea of the effort that was put in to get the ADA or 503 or the technology laws in place. But you know what? That's not important. What is important is that they now have opportunities that we didn't have growing up. And isn't that exciting? Isn't that what the American system is all about? Wow. Yeah, it, Tony, I mean, this is such a great thing, 503. Why? Why do you think it took all this time, though? I mean, what, what is the problem? Well, With... the bureaucracy is not going to do it on their own. And so it takes uh, some um, unredetermined uh, individual or group of individuals to make it happen. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and committed to making a difference, and, uh, and we've been able to succeed. But uh, the bureaucracy doesn't correct problems. It's only if the policy changes, do they? And we well, have to get the policy changed. And, right. and understanding that 
you could have had an executive order in the uh, Clinton administration, but you didn't have uh, anything in place in order to make an executive order effective. So right. that's what it takes, and and it was a long uh, process to, you know, we had, I don't know how many federal agencies had to approve uh, the definition of disability. Uh, but it was, look, it, it was worth it. Uh, it's sad that so many people over the years have not been able to be employed, but we're getting there now. Um, it's uh, We're making the progress that's necessary. Well, Tony, this stigma, this stigma that has caused this high unemployment, where do you think that comes from, and why do you think people have that feeling? Well, primarily it comes from religion, and I'm a very spiritual person, as you know, Joyce, but uh, religion causes a lot of problems uh, all over. But, you know, I tell my personal story where I got kicked out of the priesthood, out of the seminary, because... It was determined I had epilepsy in canon law in, in 400 A.D., established in 400 A.D., said if you have epilepsy or possessed by the devil, uh, you can't be a priest. Well, that stigma then carried out through the years so that my parents, um, devout Catholics, when they heard that I had epilepsy, they were horrified because in the uh, culture that they grew up in, it meant that uh, somebody in the family had committed a major sin and God was punishing the family. So uh, God gave me seizures in order for everybody to know that my family had committed some major sin at some point. That's a heavy burden to take, and that's true in a lot of cultures in our society all around the world, and that with disabilities. Uh, there are people who, in certain cultures who, if the a woman is disabled and, and she uh, is, gets pregnant. They uh, abort the, the child because the, the woman supposedly cannot handle, uh, a disabled woman cannot handle a child. Or if a disabled child is born, they take the child away and, uh, from the family and do not give the child a, a number, in other words, a Social Security number, but in different countries it's called something different, but an ID number. So there, there's no way to maintain uh, the data in regards to a child that's born with a disability. They become a nothing. And uh, that still goes on in the world today. And, and so the, this stigma um, is uh, something that we have to confront. We have to keep confronting. Look at people of color. There was a stigma that if you were a person of color that you didn't have good work ethics that you couldn't own property, that you couldn't... All these things have gone on. And look at how much, how long it took us and the progress we've made, not only here in the United States, but as a result of, of what we've done here in the United States, it has changed things throughout the world. It's the same thing with women. Women didn't have the right to vote. They couldn't own property. Um, and, and, of course, they couldn't do certain jobs. They couldn't be in executive positions with companies or beyond corporate boards, uh, and still churches don't let women uh, participate in the holy or secret parts of, of the ceremony of their particular church. Well, women have made great progress. It's taken a long time. Uh, there's still a lot of progress to make. Those of us in disabilities, we're behind. I forgot the gay community. The gay community has had discrimination as well, and they've made great progress, and it's moving forward. In some countries... 
uh, you're you're slaughtered if if you have if you're gay, and so forth. And in some countries, the leadership just denies that they have any gays in their country. But those of us with disabilities were late to the scene. We didn't stand up and fight for our rights. We had people like Jerry Lewis, a nice man, obviously, but an individual who did a telethon and he pat the people with disabilities on the head and say, now you go off to the corner and I'll raise the money and take care of you. That paternalistic feeling uh, that we have grown up with, that we finally as individuals said, no, we want our own rights. We want our own opportunities. We want our own right to fail. We don't need to have somebody telling us everything, what we can and do at every moment of the day and give us permission to do so. We have a right as a human spirit to make mistakes. We have a right as a human spirit to succeed. And so that's where we finally are coming as a, as a group. And it's an exciting time for me. It's an exciting time to be part of it, an exciting time to be a leader in the movement. I, I love what we're doing as a community. Well, you definitely got the passion there, Tony. Oh, the fire is burning, Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a time that fire is not burning? I have never known the fire to not be burning. I mean, you are just an amazing person, Tony. You really are. I mean, here you are. You're so involved with everything. ADA, ADA Amendments Act, you know, 503. And now I know there's something very important to you, and that is the U.N. Convention on the Rights of Persons with disabilities. Um, I, I happened to be there the first time when the vote was going. I don't think, and I've known you since 1996, I don't think I've ever seen anything impact you um, the way that is. So first of all, how about if we talk a little about what CRPD is, um, and then I want to know how, th- how this has become a crusade to you. Well, as I've indicated a few times here today, is that, you know, the United States has been a great leader in so many things, some bad things, of course, too, but so many positive things in, in protecting the human dignity and so forth. And one of the things that we've been a real leader on is disability rights, of uh, talking about the dignity of those of us with disabilities as opposed to talking about uh, what we cannot do. Um, and so uh, we have led on that, and as a result of the ADA, and, but other things prior to that, but the ADA in particular, uh, so many people throughout the world have, uh, in their communities, have come, come to their governments and insisted that they get something like the ADA. And it's happened. It's become a world movement now, and that's exciting to me that, that it has. And then it, the, the UN decided that they wanted to make it a requirement of all members of the UN. And, of course, they took uh, the ADA and made that uh, the preamble of the whole thing. And so that was uh, something that um, was uh, committed to at the, uh, by all the states in, in, the, in, the United, in, in the UN, the United Nations. And uh, George W. Bush, president, uh, he's the one who signed it, submitted it uh, to the UN. The UN then turned around and ratified it and sent it back out to the states for for um, confirmation. 
and uh, uh, 132, I can't remember what it is, uh, nations have confirmed it. But the leader of the whole disability movement, we, we in the United States, have not. And we have not because we have some right-wing nuts who want to exaggerate what the UN treaty will do. First off, it won't cost us a cent. It doesn't cost us a penny. Secondly, they say that it will take away states' rights. Absolutely false. And we're willing to put up an amendment, but it's called a RUD, Reservations, Understandings, and Declarations, but it's like an amendment to the treaty saying that that we won't comply with these things um, and so forth. Then the third thing is, is that they say that uh, our schools will be changed. If you want to uh, school your children at home, you won't be able to under the uh, Disabilities Treaty, that your disabled children will not be able to be schooled at home. False, absolutely false, not even in, uh, near being true. But we're willing to do a rod or an amendment to the treaty to take care of that. Then the last thing they say is that if you have a disabled child in your house, that the UN committee can come out and declare you uh, ADA non-compliant, take your children away, and so forth. How ridiculous is that? Uh, it's not even. There's no way that the UN would have any authority under any conditions under this treaty or any other treaty or conditions. It just doesn't make sense. It's not even close to being accurate. It's legally impossible. But we have these right-wing nuts who are out there saying that's true, and it's scaring uh, families with disabled children into believing that it's true. We have people who call up crying because they don't want to see this happen because they're going to take their disabled children away. I resent the fact that people are deliberately misleading people to create fear on something that's impossible to happen. But that's what yeah. they're doing. Right. And so when we got the treaty up two years ago, we lost by... By uh, we were at two votes down, and then four others went away. So we lost by six votes. Treaty has come back up again. As a matter of fact, today the committee, uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, is working on it uh, in the Senate. Um, hopefully to be reported out today, but I don't know yet uh, what they're going to do. But they're working on it at this very moment, and. And then we'll go to the floor. I don't know if we'll be able to get the votes again because the same um, right-wing crowd is working against it and, and insisting that it be defeated. So that's where we are. Well, you know, you need someone to speak up. You need people that will speak up, and that is why I think we have a caller on the line right now. Dan, how are you doing? Good. How are you today? Good, good. And this is Dan LaVallee. Another person that's going to speak up for people with disabilities, right, Dan? Yes, absolutely. I want to thank you, Joyce and Congressman Quello, for your support and belief on on our campaign here, and and most of all, for showing me the type of leadership that makes a difference for Americans with disabilities uh, in particular. Congratulations on your efforts, and I just caught a a little bit of what you were saying there, Congressman, and uh, it's just fantastic. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for calling in. Absolutely. So on my end, what does Congress, and maybe in particular the House of Representatives, I know you might have just addressed it, what does Congress need to do right now to further empower and employ people with disabilities? Well, the thing that needs to be done is to 
uh, get this treaty adopted, but that's only yes. in the Senate, it's not in the House. Right. Uh, then after that, uh, we've got the, the most of the laws in place. What we really need uh, is the funds to support uh, these programs, because when you do budget cuts, uh, which we're in the process of doing, and I support that, uh, the first thing you go to are the poor and disabled and so forth and cut their budgets. And that's where we need people like you in the Congress to help balance it out so that it's fair and that uh, those of us with disabilities and people who are poor don't end up at the short end of the stick. Right. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to following your lead and enjoy yours as well. Hey, Dan, we love you, Dan. And, Dan, aren't you're running for office, right? Yes, running for United States Congress in the 3rd Congressional District of Pennsylvania, a little north of Pittsburgh. Well, here's what I say. People with disabilities, you better get behind him because he cares for us. And whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, if you care for us, we care about you. Thank you, Dan. Absolutely. Take good care, Joyce and Congressman. Uh, good to talk with you. Thank you, Dan. Take care. So, Tony, I mean, I just heard what you said about, you know, all of this coming up again against us. I mean, I guess I'll never forget what you said when you spoke and you said, we need to get mad. I think that people with disabilities, I think that's part of the problem is that sometimes people sit back and they wait for someone else to take care of it, and in fact... That is not what the opposition is doing. No, that's right. The opposition is making literally thousands of phone calls, uh, but what they're doing is robocalling. In other words, they they call uh, 100 members of the House and Senate, and uh, uh, it's one individual, but they're making all these calls seeming like there are thousands of people calling in. But it's very deliberate, very organized, uh, uh, very determined, um, but what I what I resent, as I said, is that these people are being misled by supposedly educated, um, honest folks, and that's that's really sad. So, what what should we do? Well, I I think that your listeners, uh, if they can, would be to make phone calls to their senators and say that you support uh, getting the treaty voted on this year and passed this year, that it's uh, time for us to do that and and move it forward. And you were in Congress, Tony. Tell me, doesn't one call make a difference? You're absolutely right. Phone calls are more important than a letter, um, petition, or whatever. A phone call means that you're actually picking up on the phone and making the effort. A lot of letters are something that's presented by other people and people just send it on. Petitions, a lot of people don't even read petitions. And elected officials know all this. Um, but a phone call is a deliberate action that people take. And when you make a phone call, uh, it registers uh, in every congressional office. And I know that Senator Harkin, who, by the way, is tomorrow receiving the Tony Coelho Award uh, for an individual leader that has impacted the lives 
of Americans with disabilities. I remember when he spoke saying how it was like 10 to 1, the calls that came in. 10, sadly, for the opposition. That's exactly right. People in the disability community, um, uh, we do, do need to get mad, and we do need to let people know how strongly we feel. I, I'm looking at a, a picture in my wall here of, of uh, you and I, Joyce, leading the walk in regards to epilepsy. When we first had the walk, there were about uh, not even 500 people uh, who walked in Washington, D.C. Now we've got somewhere around 5,000 people who are walking. Um, but it takes time to educate our community, to get involved, to get committed, and so forth. But if people will just pick up a phone and make a phone call, they would be able to impact what we're trying to get done here. Yeah. Hey, um, sorry, I didn't notice to right now. I apologize. We have another caller on the line. Charlie, are you on the line? I am on the line. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Tony. How are you both? I am fantastic. And by the way, this is another great person that I think so highly of. Charlie LaValle is the CEO of Variety, the children's charity. Just love him so much. So thanks for calling in, Charlie. Oh, I'm happy to. I'm, I'm thrilled that you have Tony on today and, and congratulate him for all his efforts and to bring this focus. And I just wanted to add, I, I agree with you both, but I think also the way the listeners can help is to also request that the local media, the, the newspaper in their area, the television station, that they bring attention to the treaty and also focus the difference if we go back to jobs for people with disabilities. We need to have stories about the difference it can make, and everybody needs to see it in the community so they can understand this isn't just some small uh, sidebar issue. This is a critical issue that must be addressed, and um, I think we need to have more attention brought to it, and, and it can't be left to uh, just inside the beltway. It's great what Tony's doing in terms of getting uh, this issue up there and the senators, but we have to get this in mainstream so it becomes people talking about it around their own dinner tables. I agree with you, Charlie, and for all the listeners that are on, you should know what Charlie does is that he gets uh, bikes that are, that are um, made for young kids with disabilities so that they have an opportunity to be able to ride a bike. Um, and he gets sponsors to to provide for that, and it's had a fantastic effect in several uh, locations now. And it's it's really an exciting thing to see the expression to see on these young kids when they can actually ride their own bike, and the independence that they feel, and the joy and pride that they feel. So it's fantastic, and I love Charlie for what he's doing. Well, Tony, you and Joyce would appreciate this. We gave a bike to a. Uh, eight-year-old uh, in a, with a bunch of labor leaders, and uh, he is very competent, very smart, but obviously he has disabilities. His body doesn't work like he wishes it would work, but the first thing he looked at the labor leaders at age, at his young age was he said, I want a job. So he's already <laughs> anticipating <laughs> what you two have been championing and waving the banner for, because that, of course, as you two have said so so much for so many years. That's the key to life, having a job so you can have independence and 
self-sustaining life. And uh, But I thought it was beautiful, and they all cra- cracked up. But, you know, in the midst of that funny moment, it's the child who's telling us the truth. We need Absolutely. to make sure that there is opportunity so they can find their possibilities in life, like everyone deserves. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Charlie, we are behind you 100%, and, I, and I'm proud to be on the board of Variety. Um, and, Charlie, thanks for calling in. My pleasure. And I just want to say we're looking forward to having Tony Coelho in Pittsburgh in November to honor you, Joyce Bender. So I'm looking forward to that day. It's something that should happen here in Pittsburgh. And hopefully when Tony's in, we'll have a lot also to celebrate about the treaty. Or maybe we'll have to sit down with uh, the local media here and bring more attention to it. All for it, Charlie. I'm excited about being there in November. Thank you both. Tony, it's an honor to me. Thank you, Joyce, for everything. All right. Take hey, care. we got another caller on the line. Peggy, are you on the line? I'm here, Joyce. Hello, Peggy. Hi, Joyce. How are you? I am good. I love the uh, epilepsy walk, and Peggy uh, is the CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA. Oh, great. Congratulations, Peggy. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much. I, I guess I'm I'm thinking sort of along the same lines as as Charlie because as you know Joyce was with us on Saturday for our fun run walk and it was amazing despite an um, an incredible amount of rain um, we had an extraordinary number of families there and um, folks who just came out to walk and and show their support for the fight against epilepsy and seizures and. And it just made me think as I was listening to everybody talk, you know, how do we translate that kind of passion into the issues that we're talking about this afternoon? So, you know, how do we get those families to understand that they need to also put that kind of energy into things like the treaty? And I'm just wondering, Tony, since you, I'm sure you must have some sage advice for me because I'm so new in this job, you know, how do we really get our families to understand how important those issues that are, you know, at the national level, as important as as all of our local issues as well. Well, one of our problems, as you well know, is that the stigma issue is something that a lot of families don't like to talk about. Um, So they won't talk about uh, uh, their their children or whatever. And that, uh, because of the effort of uh, the foundation there in in, uh, Western PA, um, you're raising awareness uh, of uh, epilepsy, which in effect uh, goes right at the fight against the stigma. And the more you do that, the more people will feel free to, to make those calls, to get involved. Um, but a lot of parents, is what they're so involved with is taking care of their disabled loved one. Right. And they don't uh, take the time to realize that what they ought to be doing is insisting that uh, the government follow the laws and and provide the assistance that is necessary or provide the opportunities. I always like to use the word opportunity because you don't have to take it, but there is an opportunity for you to, to do some things to be helpful to uh, your family or your loved one. And so uh, I understand all that, but... Uh, what we need to do is to create an opportunity for people to express themselves. Like the fun run is an opportunity that people then feel good about because they see other people with uh, uh, epilepsy or disability and they 
feel okay. It's okay to be aggressively out front, and it's okay to to show who I am or who my loved one is, and so forth. And that's really the one thing that we have to get around is not let this uh, so-called stigma hold us back and and to be able to express ourselves. So what you're doing in Western PA right now is really uh, a fabulous thing. Your your gala is is great. Uh, all those things put ep- puts epilepsy in a very positive light, and that's what we need. Well, I hope you'll you'll try to make some time to come visit us in November when you're here as well. Okay. We always love to have you come and visit when you're here, Tony. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Thanks. Hey, t- hey, Peggy, thank yeah. you for calling in, and thank you for that great job you did at the walk. Oh, well, thank you, Joyce. We All can right. Never, we can never do anything without you, so <laughs> we always depend upon you, Joyce, to be there with us, so thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Hey, we got another caller on the line. See this? Everyone's calling at one time here, Tony. Jenny, are you on the line? Yes, I sure am. This is Jenny. Hi, Jenny. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Joyce and Tony? Hey, this is my good friend, Jenny Miller. Hi, Jenny. That's right. It's great to have you on the phone. It's great talking to both of you. And, of course, everything you say just resonates with me. Uh, the, the stigma that, uh, of course, I dealt with with Sam and uh, with the people that I deal with with mental illness. And when you're talking about the issue of finding jobs for them, of course, that's part of what Sam was dealing with three years ago, just the inability to um, find a job was something that he really struggled with. And the clients that I deal with with uh, mental illness, they're young adults, and uh, trying to find that and trying to talk through them through these issues is uh, just really resonating with me today. And uh, what you were talking with with Peggy um, just really hits home. And and I always talk to them about you, of course, and a lot of my clients uh, with my paying job as opposed to my nonprofit job. I always tell them about Tony Coelho and Joyce Bender and uh, being an advocate. And one of the first things that I tell them is how you taught Sam and I early on about speaking up, uh, not only for our epilepsy, but I speak up uh, about my own depression and saying that not being ashamed is is prime and how you taught me that. And I really appreciate that, Tony. Thank you, Jenny. I, for your listeners uh, here, I think uh, I will say that... that uh, I think about it practically every day that I failed in my advocacy with Sam. I was trying to work with Sam to uh, believe with him, believe in himself and so forth. But the stigma uh, got so bad that he ended up uh, committing suicide. And I always regret that uh, that happened because he, um, Sam was uh, uh, a youngster when I first met him and st- first started communicating with him. But uh, the stigma can be overwhelming, overpowering, and I went through that myself, and so I regretted that I could not uh, help Sam at at, uh, his critical time. Thank you, Tony, for feeling that. But um, he reached out to somebody on on his last day, and um, that young man is still struggling, but he's still with us. And as I told uh, Joel, I'll tell you, 
that uh, Sam just couldn't go on, but his message is still going on. Good. That's right. And uh, that's what we need to focus on. That's exactly that right. We just have to keep reaching out, and we need to keep advocating and uh, using Sam as, as an example, that he was always falling through the cracks. And uh, one of Sam's own doctors was one of the ones causing his stigma. And I reached out to that doctor with the picture of you and Sam. And I had even written an article uh, while that doctor was causing stigma to say that we're the ones that need to change the world that's causing that stigma. That's exactly right. And well, Joyce uh, will I tell you about the doctor who told her that she didn't have epilepsy. Never tell anybody she had epilepsy. Yeah. And so we've all gone through that. And exactly. Unfortunately, we uh, couldn't convince Sam to to fight it any longer. But but anyway, uh, Jenny, you have done such a great job of uh, keeping uh, Sam's words and and concerns alive, and we love you for that. You're you're committed to making a difference, and you have, which is what we which which is what we love. And we also, just as we have a Tony Coelho Award, we have a Sam Miller Award that we give out, um, and we'll be giving out the picnic. And Jenny comes when we give this out, but just as she said about keeping Sam's spirit alive, that's one of the reasons we do that. But you know to teach young people not to bully. And Jenny, you are just going to love the uh, recipient this year. That's great. So we'll look, look forward. forward we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you. I Keep up the good work you. you're doing, Jenny. Thank, Thank you, Jenny. you as well. Thank you for for what you're teaching and what you're doing. Uh, your passion uh, helped teach me how to how to advocate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jenny. Love you both. Love you too. What an awesome person, though, that went through such a terrible, terrible thing. Yep. Could turn around and do this. You know what I mean, Tony? Yeah, she's uh, using her grief to help others, uh, which a lot of people uh, grieve and go in. What Jenny has done is she's grieving, still is, but goes out. Uh, and she's helping make a difference for other people. And that's what's great about, about Jenny Miller. Yeah, that is so true. So, Tony, I... I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but I wanted to ask you this question. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left, but who was or is your role model? I mean, obviously someone did impact you tremendously. Who, who was that? Well, it started off with my uh, high school superintendent, who um, when I was growing up, uh, we had a dairy farm, and I was milking cows uh, every morning, every night. And so it was 300 cows. My brother and I milked automatic machines. But we would, school would start at uh, 8.45. And we used to get up at uh, 3 o'clock in order to milk the cows and then quickly rush on to uh, school. And a lot of times we wouldn't get there in time because of uh, some mishap in the barn or cows running out or whatever, you know, something going on. And... Uh, I'd come in to, when you're late, you had to go in the principal's office. So I'd come into the principal's office, and he would see me, and he'd ask me to go into his office. And we'd sit down, and he would say to me, I always want you to get 
your first class be in study hall or gym or whatever. And I want you to come in this office because I want to talk to you. You've got to get out of this town in order to um, uh, make a success of yourself. He didn't know I had uh, epilepsy. I didn't know I had epilepsy. But he was so firm about me um, getting out and making a difference. And uh, that struck with me because um, nobody had taken that interest in me like that. Um, I was a leader in student government, but nobody really said, you know, you've got to push and you've got to strive uh, for what you believe in. So that was my, my first one. My second one was um, President John F. Kennedy because I was going to be a trial lawyer and uh, then because of his assassination. And I followed him on everything. I followed every speech. I followed every, everything he did. He just, there was something about him that captured me. And so when he got assassinated, uh, I was in a funk for at least five days. I just couldn't do anything. And as a result of that, I came out thinking that, you know, I want to do something public service. I do not uh, want to become a lawyer. I, I just want to do public service and then decided I wanted to be a priest. Um, and that took me several months to get there. But when I did, I, I told uh, the Jesuits that I wanted to enter, and they were all excited about me entering. My girlfriend of five years wasn't, and my fraternity brothers <laughs> knew better. But I just, I, I, John Kennedy just symbolized everything that I really believed in. And, um, and so that's, uh, if I were to pick uh, two, the only other one I would consider was my former boss, Congressman Bernie Sisk, who believed with me, believed in me as a son, as a person, as uh, a best friend, and saw me have seizures and never thought a negative thought. He always uh, said, he'll be fine, just let him get up and we can go- keep on going. And he then uh, wanted uh, me to take his place. So those are the three people who had the most influence in my life. Wow. Well, Tony, before we go, I want to tell you that person for me is Tony Coelho. Thank you, Joy. Um, and I want to end with a quote from that person, which is, work gives us dignity. And that is so true. true is. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.